Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Also good. Um, I'm. I don't know if I'm excited about this episode. <laughs> it's yeah. it's gonna be interesting because it's I, true crime this week, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. We're going back to America and true crime. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting when I was researching, but right. not fun. Kind of scary. A little bit. A little, little chills, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Crime. Woo! Okay, so um, we have actually talked about this type of killer before um, in a couple of episodes, I think, actually, but this is like an angel of mercy or angel of death type situation. Ah, okay. Um, so basically, it's like a person employed as a caregiver, usually like like a hospital or a nursing home or something, um, and they will intentionally harm or kill people who depend on them for care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because like, they think they're doing a favor for them basically like they're putting them out of their misery or something yeah this yeah. case it's like kind of that and kind of that he just like liked killing yeah um, I feel like it's usually a mix to yeah. be honest there's a little bit of like a cult I guess sprinkled in here I'm not going to oh. go into too much detail about that but it is mentioned like that was like a part of why he was killing okay um, and personally I think that this type of killer is like one of the scariest because I don't know I feel like you can always trust people in healthcare like you feel like you're supposed to trust people in healthcare like they're supposed to have your best interests at heart and then like it's scary to think that that's not the case and like people will just like kill you yeah and often if you're like needing healthcare you're not really like in a state where you can like fend for yourself almost you know like where you can like be like I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, you like you need someone to, like, put in the IVs and, like, give yeah. you medication. It's, like, and stuff it's, that you can't do yourself, so you have to rely on them. Yeah, and it's really scary to think that, like, someone might be doing that, but, like, end up killing you. Yeah. And, yeah, honestly, like, like that's one of the terrifying things about this. And this killer in particular is really scary because, like, he didn't exactly have an MO. So, like, the full extent of his crimes may never be known. Oh. And I think that also means, that, like the families of his victims may never know that like that's how they died mm. because like this is this story takes place like in the mid-1900s so a lot of the times and like when people died in hospitals it was like oh they're dead and then especially if they're like older or suffering from something they just like send them right out to the funeral home mm-hmm. so like a lot of the families might not know that their family members were like murdered mm-hmm. and I think that's horrifying yeah that yeah. is um, yeah, so the man in question is uh, Donald Harvey, um, and he was born in Butler County in Ohio in 1952, and then I think shortly after they ended up moving to Kentucky, where they were, like, for school and everything, um, I think that his mother was, like, one of the teachers there for a little bit as well, so, yeah, he was there for school and everything, um, in an interview with uh, his mother, Um, She basically said that, like, it was a loving family environment. She said, quote, my son has always been a good boy. Donnie was a very special child to me. He was always clean and well-dressed with his hair trimmed. He was a happy child, very sociable and well-liked by other children. He was a handsome boy with big brown eyes and dark curly hair, and he always had a smile for me. Abnormality, end quote. Um, 
and I think usually when we talk about killers in like any capacity, like um, the main thing that stands out is like a traumatic childhood. Mm-hmm. But like I know that I think there was a couple of mentions that I saw in like other places about him being like abused by his uncle and stuff, and like how he was kind of ostracized by students because he was like smart, oh. so he like got along more with adults. But like, and his mother seemed to think that he had a pretty decent childhood. Which I know might just be like her turning a blind eye, but mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting that like that she said one thing, but then like a couple of other sources said a couple of other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like um, his classmates described him as like more of a loner, more of like a teacher's pet. Like he rarely participated in the extracurricular activities, but he would like read and like do his work and everything. Um, and he like mostly got like A's and B's in his classes and stuff like that. But I guess he ended up getting bored with like school and like the routine of it so then he ended up dropping out in ninth grade um after that he for a short time moved to Cincinnati job at this factory but then his mother called him one day and was like oh your grandfather is sick he's in the hospital so please come back to Kentucky so he said okay and he went back to Kentucky and spent a lot of time at the hospital I think he was around 18 at this point okay Um, and I guess since he was spending so much time at the hospital he kind of like asked around for a job which kind of makes sense because he was like trying to survive mm-hmm. um, and so then he started out by working as an orderly at the Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky and he worked there from May of 1970 to March of 1971 um, yeah so in March on March 31st which is when like he stopped working there it was actually because he was arrested for burglary. Oh. Um, and he, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but he pled guilty to a reduced charge of, like, petty theft. Um, so then he only got, like, a $50 fine, and then the judge kind of, like, recommended psychiatric treatment because they were like, oh, he seems to be a little bit troubled. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harvey, I guess, was like, no, I don't want that. And then he was like, I'm going to go into the Air Force instead. Oh, alright, yeah. yeah. Either therapy or Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> Two options. No. <laughs> um, either you get over your trauma or you get PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he ended up serving there for 10 months before he was discharged um, in March of 1972 on unspecified grounds, which is a little bit concerning to me. Yeah. Um, but later, he ended up confessing that during the 10-month period that he worked at the hospital... He killed at least a dozen patients. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'll get into that in a little bit. But when he got back home uh, to Kentucky from the Air Force, he ended up being committed twice to the Veterans Administration Medical Center in Lexington. Um, It was from July 16th to August 25th, and then again from September 17th to October 17th. Um, Basically, his mother said that it was, like, a mental disorder type thing where they basically kept him in restraints um I think later on his lawyers referred to it as like a botched suicide attempt oh okay mm-hmm. and um yeah so this is a mental hospital in the mid to late 1900s he did go through electroshock therapy treatments yikes yeah um but he got through all of them with no visible improvement in his condition. 
Yeah, because it's electroshock. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, it doesn't. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, I know it's the 1900s, but still, every single time we talk about electroshock, it just, I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, horrifying. Um, but yeah, he ended up concealing that record and then finding work as a part-time nurse's aide at Cardinal Hospital, Cardinal Hill Hospital in Lexington. Um, and this was between February and August of 1973. And then in June, he got a second nursing job at Lexington's Good Samaritan Hospital, and he stayed there until January 1974. Um, Between August 1974 and September 1975, he worked as, like, a telephone operator in Lexington. And then he got another job as, like, a clerk at St. Luke's Hospital in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. During this time, I think he kind of, like, didn't kill or he like didn't he like kept I don't know like the urge to kill in check I guess mm-hmm. um but I think it got like more and more difficult for him so he ended up moving away from Kentucky and then going back to Cincinnati there from September 1975 to July of 1985 he held a variety of positions all at the Cincinnati Veterans or VA Medical Center um, like I think there was like a point where he was a nursing assistant and like a housekeeping aide, um, catheterization technician, and then even like an autopsy assistant. Um, this is kind of where we get into a little bit of the occult thing. When he was an autopsy autopsy assistant, he would sometimes steal like tissue samples from the morgue and then he would like take them home for like study purposes. Uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you, sir. No, just a big no. Like, that's (laughs) so sketchy. It's gonna be a no for me. Yeah, um, I hate it. (laughs) And then, also while he was working there, he later confessed to at least 15 patients that he killed. Oh, God. Yeah, so he had a lot of, like, methods and everything, and then, I guess he would like joke with the ward nurses after one of their patients died that he would like oh he would be like oh I got rid of that one for you Mm, Um, not a funny joke sir yeah (laughs) not at all terrible I hate it yeah um and then the worst part is is that like his victims weren't even limited to patients who were suffering oh no there was like a point where he was mad at his neighbor, so then he laced her drink with hepatitis. Oh my god. And it like I don't think it killed her, but the infection was like when it got bad, it almost killed her before it was diagnosed and treated. Oh my god. That's but like that was purely for like revenge. Yikes. And like he had access to all of this stuff because he worked at a hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's horrifying. Yeah, truly. Especially because it's not just, like, death. Like, that's, like, a sickness. Like, yeah, terrifying. To make her suffer. Right? Um, yeah. So, going back to his first murder, um, kind of, like, what happened was that he said during an evening shift, it was just a couple of months after he started at the hospital, he ended up committing his first murder. And it was years later um, in an interview that he kind of, like, talked about it. And Wait, basically, so is this 
at the first job where you said he killed at least 12 people or is this yeah like... yeah the first his okay. first murder okay um but i just wanted to like get into like how he started killing i guess because he like yeah, yeah. escalated really quickly okay um but basically it started out not as like an angel of mercy kind of thing basically it started out is that he went into a private room to check on the stroke victim and i don't know what was up with this victim or like the, the pa- patient but I guess he ended up rubbing, like, feces in Harvey's face. Oh. And, which I think is, like, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, really nasty. But it's not a reason to kill someone. No. Um, but, yeah, Harvey became angry. He lost control. And then he said, um, quote, the next thing I knew, I just smothered him. It was like it was a last it. I went in to help the man, and he wants to rub that in my face. End quote. Um, after yeah, I don't he- think you have the temperament to work in a hospital <laughs> exactly mm. and yeah like after after he killed the patient harvey like cleaned him up and like showered himself before he notified the nurses and then like oh no God. one ever questioned it yikes yeah like <laughs> what um three weeks after his first murder he killed again and then this one was he disconnected an oxygen tank at a woman's bedside she was like an older lady and i think she was suffering as well but then like no one suspected anything so as the weeks went by no one like kind of said anything to him he just got more and more like out there and he just started trying more and more different things mm-hmm. um this second victim i think was actually killed in a room with and like another patient who was a 12 year old child and I don't know if this child knew what was going on but still like that's traumatizing yeah Um, at this point he insisted that he was killing out of a sense of empathy for those who were terminally ill but then later on he admitted that many of the killings were committed because he was just angry yeah I'm not buying the yeah so it was I don't know it was like a lot of like he called himself kind of like an angel of mercy but a lot of like his first killing as well it was like out of revenge which Mm -hmm. kind of explains why he like lost his temper at his neighbor you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. it is not as much of a shock that he did that because his first killing was out of revenge as well yeah yeah um it's just disgusting Mm -hmm. um so on July 18th, 1985, he was working in Cincinnati and he left work with a suspicious looking satchel. Um, Security guards stopped him and inside the satchel they found a 38 caliber pistol, hypodermic needles, surgical scissors, gloves, a cocaine spoon, two books of occult lore, and the biography of a serial killer called uh, Charles Sobraj. yeah, I guess the only thing that they really were able to charge him there was, like, bringing a, a weapon into a VA facility. So he was fined $50 and forced to resign. Um, and then... Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot to have in a bag, and I don't know. Yeah, I would be a little bit suspicious that he was stealing, like, hypodermic needles and scissors yeah. and gloves and stuff. Especially that combined with, like, occult lore. And like a serial killer biography, and the biography of a serial killer that is a little bit sketchy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But seven months later, in February of 1986, he was hired as a part-time nurse's aide at Cincinnati's Drake Memorial Hospital. And then he ended up working his way to, like, a full-time position. Jeez. Um, Do they not do background checks at this point? I guess not. I mean, I know he covered up, like, one of, like, his medical records and stuff from when he was, like, committed. Mm -hmm. But I, I would, I don't know, I don't know why they would hire him. Mm-mm. I feel like that's a major red flag. Yeah, if you're just like fired from the last place, like couldn't you be yeah. like, hmm, why is that? I know. It was yeah. Um but yeah, he worked there for thirteen months before he ended up actually getting arrested. Mm-hmm. And in that time it is confirmed that he murdered twenty three more patients. Oh my god. Um it was a mix of things. He would disconnect life support equipment, inject with arsenic or cyanide, or like a, clen- a petroleum like clen- cleaner thing. Um, outside of work, he this is like disgusting to me as well. But he had um, he lived with his boyfriend Carl Howler, and then I guess he like sometimes practiced on Carl. Um, practiced what? Yeah, like. Like, I guess there was one point, like, after an argument, he ended up, like, slightly poisoning him so he could, like, nurse him back to health. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, he also did that to Carl's parents. Oh, Um, my God. Yeah, his father ended up surviving said poison, but I know, I think that his mother was, like, killed. Um, Horrifying. Yeah. Like, What? Yeah, that's really scary. Like, more than just, like, the angel of death stuff, like, yeah. that's your boyfriend. That's and just weird. Like, ugh. I don't, like, you can't even say, yeah, like you said, that's for, like, an angel of death kind of reasoning. That's just... Yeah, I have no words. Emotional manipulation. Uh, fully, fully. And, like, physical as well. Like, that, yeah. what? Yeah. When I read that part, I was like, that's not true. That did not happen. Like what Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I mean that's what he did and it was I I genuinely I can't Mm -mm. because like usually I think the scariest part is that like usually when you think about someone who kills as like an angel of mercy you think that they're confined to the hospital yeah and like that's scary enough but the fact that he's like bringing this outside of the hospital Mm -hmm. and just like hurting real people who aren't sick Mm -hmm. like I don't know. It's just so gross. Um, yeah, so I don't have a ton of details about, like, individual patients and everything, but what I can tell you is that the full extent of his crimes may never be known because so many were undetected for so long. And this is because, like I mentioned before, he didn't have an MO. He had a ton of different methods. He would use, like, arsenic, cyanide, insulin, um, suffocation, miscellaneous poisons overdoses of morphine he would turn off ventilators and other life support equipment um he would this is like this part really gets me because he would also infect people with hep b or hiv yeah that is that is is like oh my god beyond insane and yeah like that really scares me (laughs) yeah like I don't know, when we were learning about, like, Hep B and, like, the HIV and AIDS epidemic and everything like that, like, it seems like a really, really terrible way to die. Mm-hmm. And worse than that is that, like, HIV, there's still, like, no real cure for it. So you're yeah. basically stuck with that for 
a while. And like, I know it's only recently that there are even medications developed to like manage it. Yeah. So having HIV in like the mid to late 1900s, like that's just sounds so painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know that like a lot of the times it would, he would like, they would get infected, like the victims would get infected. Um, I think a lot of the times it resulted in a hepatitis infection Sometimes it would be no HIV infection, and then, but like it would still be like an illness. Like you would still be suffering. Yeah. Like it wouldn't just be like a poison and then you die. Like it wouldn't just be you were on a ventilator and then suddenly like you don't have oxygen and you die. Yeah. Like this is like you're really affecting people's lives here, not yeah. just killing them. And I think, especially with at least HIV, I know like there's the stigma that comes with it too. So it's yeah. not just like the physical sickness, it's also like everyone judging you basically definitely and especially at that time yeah because i know that like the aids epidemic got really bad after this mm-hmm. yeah it was just i don't know it <sighs> disgusting yeah um he would also do things like there was one point where he inserted a coat hanger into a catheter so it caused like an abdominal puncture and then a subsequent infection like a lot of these were just like really cruel like it yeah. wasn't about killing it was about inflicting pain Yikes. Um, I think his most used methods were cyanide and arsenic, and he would do that either in food or, like, just directly injecting people, which, again, like, I know that that's not an illness, but that's not a good way to go. Mm -mm. That's not, like, a painless way to go. That's, like, you're in pain. Mm -hmm. You're being poisoned. Yeah. Um... In 1987, he confessed to killing at least a dozen patients in the time of this job, and um, the ones that he mentioned where he ended up smothering two people with pillows and then hooking ten up to almost empty oxygen tanks, um, so that, like, while they were on ventilators and everything, like, you're expecting to be able to breathe better, and then there's just no oxygen in the tank. Oh my god. Um, and then he did, he claimed that all of this was in an effort to ease their suffering. Mm, I don't think no. depriving someone of oxygen will ease their suffering. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's that's gonna cause them more suffering. I, yeah. Like, I don't know how you're rationalizing this, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. not rational. It's absolutely horrifying. Um, yeah, so the majority of his crimes took place at the Marymount Hospital and then the Cincinnati VA Medical Hospital and the Cincinnati Drake Memorial Hospital. Um, I think he did work as, like, a couple of other positions in between, but, I, like, I think I mentioned before, he didn't really... He didn't confess to killing anyone during that time. But, again, we don't actually know. Yeah. And I will never know. Yeah. And it's because he didn't have an MO. Like, I think with a couple of the other angels of mercy that we talked about, it was like they had something that they would do and that's how they mm-hmm. linked everything together. But this is really that like, we only know that these people died because he confessed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, bad. Um, so after he got away with all of this for like 17 years, Wow. He was not caught for any of these crimes for 17 years. There was that, like, in-between thing with the getting fined $50 and having to leave. But they didn't suspect him of, like, killing people at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but in March of 1987, he ended up 
being caught. Um, it, he had a patient called John Powell who had died abruptly after spending several months on life support. I think he was in a motorcycle accident and then one day he just died. And this wouldn't have been super suspicious because he was on life support. He was in a motorcycle accident and I'm not sure if you know the statistics about motorcycle accidents, but I know that they're particularly bad. Um, but they ended up actually doing an autopsy on John, on John Powell. And what they found was copious amounts of cyanide in his system, which was immediately a red flag, because how did that happen? He was not on a ventilator. side effect from a motorcycle accident. Exactly. He was on a ventilator because he was in an accident. There was nothing. He shouldn't have had cyanide in his system. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, I guess at this point, a couple of, like, investigations into people who worked there and Harvey instantly became a person of interest when they learned that he had been forced to resign from the Cincinnati VA hospital after he was like caught with the satchel full of things and then there was also that whole incident about him stealing body parts for occult rituals so I guess the investigators were immediately like that that's very suspicious in the context of this Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so at the time most hospitals I guess they didn't like really need to vet their orderlies as much like they would vet their doctors and nurses but I guess like the whole thought behind it was that they're an orderly and they're not going to do anything bad um, hopefully they started vetting their orderlies after this yeah um, but yeah when they they brought Harvey in for questioning because they were like, a lot of these things don't add up. This seems very suspicious. And he confessed to Powell's murder, claiming that he thought he was suffering and decided to euthanize him with cyanide. Um, at this point, he was arrested in April and he had one count of aggravated murder. He had a $200,000 bail. And then he filed a plea of not guilty because he pled insanity. But then I guess they like kept him in for questioning and everything. And by August 11th, he had confessed to a total of 33 killings. And then they like revoked his bail and they filed new charges and everything. Um, And the reason that they kind of did this was that Pat um, Menarson, he was an anchor at the Cincinnati station. It was like WCPO TV. And he basically was like, that's so unlikely that someone who had spent 17 years, almost two decades, in hospitals, around patients, caring for patients. And it was, it seems so unlikely that this is his first kill, mm-hmm. which is a valid assumption to make. Yeah. Um, like maybe a year and it would be like the first one, mm-hmm. but almost two decades, it does seem very unlikely that he would just immediately start. And just immediately start with, like, saying that, oh, he felt bad for this man, so he had to euthanize him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he, Menarsen did, like, this report on the night of Harvey's arrest, and he asked on air if there had been, like, any other kind of suspicious deaths. And then several nurses at Drake had apparently raised a bunch of concerns with the higher-ups with administrators, because they noticed that while Harvey was employed there, um, there was like an immediate increase in the number of deaths. Mm. 
um, like just like in, in terms of like what they were seeing when people come in versus what they were dying from. Mm-hmm. But I guess they had even when they had brought this up, like the administration was like, oh, that doesn't seem very suspicious. Just like keep quiet about it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people dying doesn't sound that suspicious to me. I get I, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, yeah so uh, but I guess the nurses were like if he's actually killed people we don't want him to be acquitted of any of these charges so they contacted the nurse and they told him that there was evidence that he killed at least 10 more people and then over the next several months Manerson like investigated these deaths suspicious deaths that the nurses brought up and then I guess he got enough evidence for a half hour special report that detailed all of this evidence to link Harvey to at least 24 murders in four years. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I guess the reason that, like, people didn't think it was super suspicious is that the hospital, like, the Drake Memorial Hospital, um, was kind of a place where people were not expected to survive. Like, I think that the people mm. there were, like, in bad condition. Okay. Which is how like, suspicious deaths weren't really seen as suspicious, and, like, how Harvey was, like, able to stay under the radar and, like, not really get caught for any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, luckily the nurses were competent enough to put together that a spike in deaths, even at a hospital where people aren't supposed to survive, is a little suspicious, and, like, that it all started happening after Harvey got there. Yeah. Um, yeah, a spokesman for the Cincinnati prosecutor's office ended up saying, quote, this man is sane, competent, but is a compulsive killer. He builds up tension in his body, so he kills people, end quote. And then, yeah, like Harvey, when he was like incarcerated or like under questioning and stuff, he basically insisted that he was an angel of mercy and that um, these killings were mercy killings. And then he did bring up the fact that he had hurt people outside of his job but said that those were done out of spite which I I don't know why those two things were said together because yeah. they don't make sense together but he that's what he said I don't know so I guess he has some mercy killings he has some revenge killings I don't know and then there was like a couple of other interviews where he kind of discussed how he was fascinated with black magic and satanism and the occult and how that played into it um, I remember reading one thing about how he would, like, set up some candles and, like, write names out and kind of, like, figure out who he was going to kill next through that as, like, a method of, like, how he was going to figure out who he was going to kill, like, through a card. Um, I don't know how exactly it worked, but I know that that's what he did. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, when you go into court and you're, like going to be in that situation you have like a lawyer um harvey's court-appointed lawyer was called bill whalen and he was briefed in advance about what Menarson found about like all of these kills and everything and he basically asked harvey if he had killed anyone else and harvey said that by his estimate he has killed more than 70 people wow mm-hmm um, Whalen basically knew that if the prosecutors could link Harvey, like, definitively to more than one murder, he would receive a death penalty. Mm-hmm. And he's a lawyer, he wanted to save his client's life, so he basically said that 
Um, he offered the prosecutors the plea bargain. If the death penalty were taken off the table, Harvey would accept life imprisonment and confess to all of the murders. Mm-hmm. And the prosecutors agreed. So he ended up confessing to killing 24 people, which is a lot less than the 70 people that he estimated he killed. Yeah. And I just really want those other people, their families, to have some sort of justice. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... yeah. Like, the 24 people that he killed, those families got a little bit of closure, but the other people, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what they're feeling. Um, yeah, so in August of 1987, he pled guilty to 24 counts of first-degree murder, and then because of this plea argument, he was sentenced to three concurrent terms of life in prison. Um, this was August 18th, I believe. So, yeah. And then it was also along with those counts of, like, first-degree murder, I think there were also four counts of attempted murder and then one count of assault. Um, So, yeah, he also did not get parole for the first 80 years of his term. And then there were also, like, $270,000 worth of fines against him. So then he would, like, realistically not be able to get out of prison in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, So plea agreement also did allow prosecutors to seek the death penalty if there were more murders that came to light so it wasn't exactly like he was not going to get the death penalty but it was like he confessed to whatever he could confess to pray that none of the other things that he did were going to come to light and that's how he would stay alive Mm. yeah so um with that in mind this is all in um in Cincinnati um but then we have to remember he worked at a hospital in Kentucky as well so with that in mind he didn't I guess he didn't like keep the deaths quiet from the patients in Kentucky um and he was in the Laurel County like circuit court and he confessed there to killing nine patients in the 1970s and in that court, he was sentenced to life plus 20 years to run concurrently with the Ohio sentence. Okay. Honestly, I'm not exactly sure how the court system works, but, like, I guess it makes sense that he had to be sentenced in the two places that he killed people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I guess that this, like, when he confessed to the dozen people that he killed on September 7th, 1987... He, like, entered a formal guilty plea on those counts of murder, and that broke John Wayne Gacy's record of accumulated victims. Wow. Um, but he wasn't done with confessing. Um, he pled guilty to 37 murders, but he confessed to killing as many as 50 people, and I think that they just, like, couldn't, um, like, put that into the, like, actual murders. Like, they didn't have enough evidence, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he confessed to it, but he was only charged for the, the murders that he was charged for. Okay. Um, in February of 1988, he entered another guilty plea for three more homicides and three more attempted murders. So he got another three life sentences plus three terms of seven to 25 years. Wait, I thought if they could get more, then he would get the death penalty? But- yeah, I think it's because he confessed to them. And it wasn't that they, like, just, like, evidence came to light about it. It was what I understood. Because I'm not, I don't have enough information about the law system in at least the 1950s, 1960s, 70s, whatever. 
Um, But what I I get is that, like, the plea agreement would allow prosecutors to seek the death penalty if more murders came to light. But I guess, like, I don't think it it would be like he confessed to them, like, in court. Okay. Or they just didn't pursue it or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But he has 37 confirmed murder victims and his confessions that he, like, said to other people, to his lawyer and everything would if those were all confirmed it would nearly triple that body count so he does hold one of the official records as america's most prolific serial killer wow which is horrifying yeah i don't Um, even think i'd ever heard of him before this yeah neither had i i don't like i guess like when we think about prolific serial killers we think about people who actively like seek people you know like they had a type they had an mo they found people and they killed them Mm-hmm. But he was like an angel of mercy, an angel of death, with some revenge killings. So he, like, I don't know. It's just like it's like a weird because like he is a serial killer, mm-hmm. but in my mind they're different. Does yeah. that make any sense? Yeah, I see what you mean. Like he killed people, but it wasn't like a torture and like kidnapping and like that kind of situation. Yeah, because as far as I know, like he didn't he didn't physically like go and like have a fight with anyone it was that he would like turn off ventilators and like i don't know it just he killed a lot of people mm-hmm. and it was bad yeah and i think a lot of the charges were attempted because if you make someone sick like a lot of them like um his lover his father didn't die like that kind of thing they just got sick mm-hmm. so attempted murder but not like murder if that makes any sense mm-hmm um, okay, so he was incarcerated in the Ohio prison system on October 26, 1987, and on, he was there for his terms, life, whatever, um, but on March 28, 2017, authorities reported that he had been found in his cell and he was severely beaten. He ended up dying two days later on March 30th, 2017. On May 3rd, 2019, his fellow inmate, James Elliott, was charged with aggravated murder and other charges relating to Donald Harvey's death. The court records don't indicate whether Elliott had, like, an attorney to speak for him because he was in prison since 2016 and, like, was convicted of trying to get a dangerous weapon um, while behind bars and, like, also, like, other assaults behind bars. Um, but a union, like, correctional officer said that after the attack in March of 2017, um, him and Harvey were in like protective custody together. So, yeah. Months later, Elliot sent letters to this newspaper in Toledo saying that he did attack Harvey um, in his cell because he said he grew up in Kentucky near some relatives of Harvey's victims. Which I'm, I'm not going to say that Harvey deserved it, but like that's what happens when you kill people. Um, in September 2019. Elliot was sentenced to life in prison after pleading guilty to killing Harvey. He was sentenced from the Toledo prison not long after Harvey died. Um, I guess the investigators said at the time that they were not really in a hurry to file charges because, like, he was already in prison serving the sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the time of his death, Harvey was 64 years old. Yeah. But he killed a lot of people in the 17 years that he was and working yeah yeah not uh, not a good man no no not at all 
Um, but yeah, that is the story that I have for you today. Uh, I hope that you found it interesting. <laughs> Not fun, but interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why we do this sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like, occasionally when I'm researching this, I'm like, what is the reason? <laughs> is it to scare me? Is it to bring me fear? I think that's I it. Know, man. Yeah. Some morbid fascination with knowing how other people died so I can prevent it if it happens to me. Is that it? Could I be. like to think that that's Could it. <laughs> um, yes, thank you for listening to me. I hope I didn't traumatize you too badly. I think also since this was like... I know he died fairly recently, but this was also, mm-hmm. like, 1950s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the further away it is from us right now, the easier it is to, like, distance yourself from things. And I think I've talked about this before, but it seems a little bit more removed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Would you like to change the subject for us? Uh, sure. I mean, I don't have much going on. My two morning classes got canceled this morning, so... Oh, seriously? That's yeah, so fun. I've been lazing in bed. Apparently. Hell yeah. Yeah. Why are they I canceled? Mean, um, it rained a lot here last night, and so there was like oh, some flooding in places. Yeah. So. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. That's not good. But I'm glad that your classes were canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then tomorrow I'm going to see the new Marvel movie, so that's exciting. Oh my god, same. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we talked about this We did talk week. about this. Yeah, but I didn't know you were seeing it tomorrow. Yeah, look yeah, at what time? Go. What time are you seeing it? Um, I think it's at night-ish. Okay, like, okay. Yeah, I can't remember what time exactly, but yeah. What time are you? Also night. Oh, wow, oh. look at that. We can just text each other and we're out. Be like, what right after. Like, Maddie, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Maddie, what happened? <laughs> Um, that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, look at us just in sync. Honestly. I love it for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have any life updates? Um, I have not started packing yet. That's my life oh, update. No. I have to leave for university soon and I, I need to find a bag oh, <laughs> to no. put my stuff in. I don't even know what I'm bringing. I've like, I've been so distracted recently. Mm-hmm. It's okay, though. I'm totally fine. Don't even worry. You're stressing me out. I know. I stress myself out. <laughs> but that's okay. I started reading The Priory of the Orange Tree. Oh. I'm, like, 20 pages in. It is very good so far. 20 out of, like, what, 800? <laughs> yeah, so many pages. Um, It's, like, the type of fantasy book where, like, the first 200 pages I've heard just don't make any sense, but you have to push through it because, like, it'll start to make sense later. You know, like, mm. high fantasy, that kind of vibe. So I'm I'm pushing through it. I'll get there. <laughs> Well, keep me updated. I will definitely do that. Um, but yeah, that's all from me. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I do not. Okay. So, Would you like to spiel us out? Yeah. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. You can follow us, like our photos, DM us, and from our profile, there's a button to email us. You can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us thoughts on stories we have covered or stories you want us to cover or little life updates of your own. Uh, we also have a Facebook, which is Grim Podcast, and a Twitter, which is Podcast Grim. And other than that, just leave us a good review and tell your friends and family about us. Yeah, and we will see you guys next week. I think if I remember correctly, I'm bringing you to Spain. 
okay. hopefully that goes well. <laughs> I started doing a little bit of research and every single article I found was in Spanish. Oh, so nice. I had to like rearrange the Google Translate grammar, but it's going well. It's going well. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't wait for you to hear about that. Yeah, me neither. And until then, stay safe and stay healthy. Bye. Bye.